Welcome to Hauser Community Church Online. Let's join Pastor as the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and unpacks the Word of God for us. After the message, we'll tell you how to contact us. All right. As the kiddos are leaving, uh, feel free to turn to this uh, brief passage that we'll be going over today. <clears throat> Several years ago, we took the boys to, uh, to Legoland down in California. They were huge fans of Lego, so um, we thought that's, that's a great place to go, especially Jackson, who wanted, he wanted Lego for every um, occasion, for Christmas, for birthdays, for days that ended in Y, every Walmart trip. He just, any, any chance he got, he wanted uh, to have a Lego set. Uh, so when we booked this, this trip to Legoland, uh, we wanted the boys to have the, the full experience. So we decided, hey, we're going to go and we're going to stay in the hotel right there at Legoland. And when the boys got there, they were just, they were blown away by the hotel. I mean, as soon as you walk in, there's Lego everywhere. Just, there's towers. Uh, they would put Lego figures in a little treasure chest in the room every day. So they had this new surprise to open every single day. Uh, the tower in the lobby so that while you're checking out, they could be building Lego. Um, the room was Lego themed. When you turn the shower on, Legos came. No, that's not true, but... Um, <laughs> It was just Legos everywhere, and, and you get the picture that it was, it was a great experience for them. But what we had to keep reminding them is this is just the hotel. We haven't even got to Legoland yet. This is just, we're just here in the hotel. The Legoland has so much more to offer, so much more to see. Um, it's way bigger than their little minds were thinking. They just saw this awesome hotel and they just wanted to be in the hotel and experience that. We understand that. Sometimes we get stuck um, in these little realities that we're living in. Um, we, we forget that what God is doing is far bigger and far greater than we ever thought. And we just get stuck in what's right here in front of us. We get stuck in our individual Christian lives, and we forget that we're part of the body of Christ. We get stuck in our family lives, and we forget that we're part of a bigger community of believers. We get stuck in the local body of believers. We get stuck in our church like this, and, and we forget that we're part of this universal church like Rick prayed this morning all over the earth. The kingdom is often a lot bigger than we think it is. It's a lot better than we think it is. It's a lot deeper, a lot wider. It's, it's more diverse and a lot more beautiful than we ever imagined. The problem is when we lose sight of the kingdom, uh, when we become focused inward, this inward focus becomes divisive among the body. So for the believer, um, focused only on the individual relationship with Jesus, it's my relationship with him, and I only need to worry about that, they start to become bitter towards other believers that don't look like they do. For the one who have turned inward in their family, their family goals start pushing out the church family, and they start focusing on what is going to make our little family more successful instead of building up families around us. When a church becomes inward-focused, we become the one church that rules them all. 
and all other churches will be picked apart for why they don't measure up. These are all, they start eating away at the unity of the body of Christ. The church or the individual then stops living and multiplying and starts grumbling and dividing. And that starts spreading among the believers. Just like it does in the passage today. We see this half the crowd, they don't even know why they're rioting. They just, they get swept up in the chaos and they riot. They miss the gospel though, that it's united. It's a lot bigger than what they were expecting. The Jewish people are expecting that the Messiah is coming. They're going to save the Jews and they're going to become like they once were, but they miss that it's way bigger than that. They miss that God was doing something far greater than just saving a people group. He was redeeming all nations. Paul reminds us in Galatians and the scripture for seeing that God would justify the Gentiles, Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So the gospel is being, being preached from the very beginning, from the very creation of the world. God has been preaching the gospel. But here's the danger. We start thinking we can do better than Israel. We're not like that. But honestly, apart from the Holy Spirit in us, we are just as inward focused as Israel became. And that's why we need a new heart. That's why we need to understand that it is the Lord who sovereignly is working in all circumstances, in every situation, to unite his people through the gospel. And because of that, we can move forward in faith. So we see... We're going to start looking at the gospel of the kingdom of God. And we're going to jump to Paul's account of his Damascus road experience. So we're moving forward. We will get to the first um, half of the scripture that Darren read this morning. But we're going to start at the gospel so that we realize why they're united and why there's chaos when we're not united. So look at chapter 22. Starting in verse 1, Paul says, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I, I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus and Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manager or the manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. So Paul starts addressing this Jewish people as a Jew. He says, I am one of you. I understand where you are coming from. And this is important because the Jewish people, Israel, they were God's chosen people. Uh, That's very clear in the Old Testament. Chosen in Abraham, brought forth through Jacob, delivered from slavery, and given the law of God, chosen as the people of God, made a kingdom of priests through Moses, brought into the promised land by Joshua. So Paul, sitting here addressing this people, he understands the pride that they have as the people of God. He says, I understand why you are coming against this movement. 
Even Jesus says in John 4.22, you worship what you do not know as he speaks to the Samaritan woman, but we worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. And he'll say, um, Paul will say later in Romans, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. So he's making sure that we understand and they understand that this is an important group of people. But there was always supposed to be this outward focus instead of an inward focus on Israel. Paul was once turned inward also. But then the Lord reveals himself to him, and he preaches the gospel to him, and he reveals that the gospel is much bigger than Paul thought. So Paul reminds the crowd also that he was from Jerusalem. He says, I'm a Jew, born in Tarsus and Cilicia, but brought up in this city. He, they, Jerusalem was very important to the Jewish people. This is where when Solomon built the temple, the spirit of the Lord descends on the temple. This is where they see the glory of the Lord fill the house of God, that all of Israel in their mind, where God dwells, his presence is in Jerusalem. That's where we go to meet the Lord. It's a very important city for them. And even though God leaves the temple in Ezekiel, Jerusalem is sacred for the Jews, a place that they're waiting for the return of the Messiah. But you see their focus, it gets so turned inward on themselves, so turned inward on Jerusalem and the temple that they miss what God was doing. They miss the very Messiah that came to Jerusalem and tabernacled among them. That's a question we need to ask ourselves. Am I so inward focused that I'm missing what God is doing? Have I turned in so much that I am missing what God is doing around me in the church, in the community, in the world? Paul even reminds the crowd that he was, he was educated under Gamaliel. He's no dunce. He, he's not just some guy that came out of the desert and didn't know what he was talking about. He's highly educated in the law of God. Gamaliel was a very well-known teacher. People wanted to follow him. They wanted to hear his teaching. So Paul says, not only am I Jewish, not only am I from Jerusalem, but I know and love the law of God. And this background made him zealous for God, just as these crowds were zealous for God even to the point of persecuting the way. Look at verses four and five. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers. I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. So layer by layer, Paul is revealing to them not only his understanding of their problem with Christianity, or not even only understanding of their Jewish heritage and their love for the Jew, Jewish heritage, but that the Lord called him, this Jewish zealot, to deliver the Lord's plan of redemption 
to the whole world. He was called to do this. Paul is saying, it is bigger than you think. This, this mission of God is far bigger than you think. It is far grander than your understanding. I get why you're zealous. I get why you are coming against this. I understand that. But you need to listen to the good news of God. It is far greater than you are imagining. He says, just listen to my story. Listen and look at where I am right now. And we need to stop and think about the people that are around us in our daily lives. As we're thinking about Paul standing before this crowd, we stand before many others wrestling with the very truth that we proclaim. Like we more than likely once wrestled with. Think about how you can meet them right where they are. Paul says, I get why you're here. We can go to people and say, I understand why you reject the church or why you reject the Christianity. But may we do that, meet them where they are with a deep love like Paul has for Israel. The love that he says in Romans, I have such a great sorrow and an unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. This is why Paul would stand in front of a crowd that wants to kill him and preach the good news to them. Because he so desperately wants them to know Jesus Christ. A love that caused him to consider his life, if you remember in Acts 20, 24, worthless. He says, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish the course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I consider myself nothing if I can testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Do you have that deep-seated desire for people to be united with Jesus Christ? A desire that would put you in front of an angry crowd. A, a desire that would make you look foolish. A desire that would make you uncomfortable. If not, start praying that way. That your heart would be like the Lord's who in 1 Timothy 2.4 we read, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That should be our heart. We should start praying for that desire to see the gospel that is far bigger than we thought. Saving the people that are so unlikely we haven't even thought about them yet. So Paul at the risk of being martyred, continues to unfold this, this journey to the gospel. But he has to show how the Lord's grace in moving him from uh, this, being this Jewish zealot, killing off Christians and throwing them into prison, he needs to show them why he moved from that to being the head church planter of Christianity. Why he's investing in all over the known world. I just want to quickly remind you this morning of God's grace and him showing his mercy to you in salvation. As Paul is persecuting the church and he's headed to Damascus, we read in verse 6, I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon. A great light shone from heaven suddenly. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me?
we were all once hostile to the mission of God. Probably not killing a lot of Christians. I don't think, I know all of you pretty well. I don't think you've been killing off Christians in your past or imprisoning them or church members or but we're certainly hostile to the commands of God before we knew him. We were hostile to God in our disobedience. And our, our disobedience was showing the world around us that we are not followers of the way. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, it's, it's not because you flipped a switch and said, well, I'm just going to turn my life around now. It's because God, by his grace and his Holy Spirit, grabbed a hold of your heart and showed you Jesus. We needed, like a kid having their face turned, I needed him to turn me to see Jesus Christ. Paul's experience was very unique. I don't know of anybody who's been knocked down and blinded and spoken directly by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Uh, but his, his unique uh, transition was because he had a very unique calling. <clears throat> but as he's knocked to the ground, and the Lord speaks two simple sentences to him, and it reveals to him immediately that this movement that he's coming against is an outright attack on the Messiah himself. Why are you persecuting me? This is what those Jews in revolt against the way needed to hear. Not that they were coming against um, just some obscure thing. They needed to hear that they were coming against Jesus and the expansion of the kingdom of God. This was an attack on the Messiah himself. This is the message that maybe some of you need to hear this morning also. That you have been coming against the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom. You have rejected him, you've rejected his message, and you have rejected his messengers. And you need to hear this morning that you're not just rejecting some insignificant movement in history or some random ideology, or you're just rejecting one of many religions that the people make up because they need to feel better about themselves. What you need to hear is you are rejecting the only one that can save you. Jesus Christ, you were coming against him and his mission. I challenge you, just as Paul was challenged, to listen to the words of Christ. Listen to what Jesus is saying, because he doesn't come and knock him down and then obliterate him. <clears throat> he shows him immeasurable grace. Look at verse 9. Now those who were with me saw the light, and they didn't understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? The Lord said to me, rise and go to Damascus. There you'll be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I couldn't see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand of those who were with me, and I came into Damascus. The sheer experience of Paul before the Lord Jesus Christ caused him to only do the, the only thing he could do is say, what do you want me to do? The same as Isaiah in Isaiah 6. He experiences the Lord, I'm ruined. The Lord saves him. What do you want me to do? I don't know what to do. 
We have the same response in Acts 2. The crowds are proclaimed. Peter preaches the first message after Pentecost. He says, you have crucified the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah who is to come. You are the ones, his blood is on your hands. And they cry out, brothers, what are we to do? Have you come to that point? Have you understood that your life outside of Jesus Christ is hostile against God and his plan for redemption? Has it cut you deep enough for you to say, what am I to do? And if you're a believer this morning, you say, well, thank the Lord he's turned me around. We still need to be asking ourselves the same question he asked Paul, then why are you persecuting me? Are you dividing the people of God? Are you dividing where Jesus is bringing things together? Paul reminds the church in Galatia, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed. So the unbeliever needs to come to Jesus and say, what shall I do? The believer needs to remember that he's following the one true Savior who's bringing the world, the believers, the Christians together and building his kingdom. And if we are coming against that, we're dividing where he is uniting. Let's continue looking at the text. Verse 12. And one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, he came to me, standing by me, said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And that very hour I received my sight and I saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth, for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Up to this point, I would argue Paul is still not sure what to do until Ananias preaches the gospel to him. He knows he needs to do something. He knows he wants, he's come against the Messiah But Ananias starts to show him, revealing to him God's grace to him. That he didn't destroy him, but he called you for a purpose. You and I have also received mercy instead of punishment in Jesus Christ. We've been called to be a kingdom of priests. We've been called to bring together what the Lord is bringing together. We're called a royal priesthood, a people for God's own possession, called to share the gospel to the ends of the earth, making disciples and baptizing them. That's our calling. But the gospel demands a response. Ananias tells Paul, now why do you wait Why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins and call on the name of Jesus. Once we have heard the gospel, there is a response called for. Repent and be baptized. Call on the name of Jesus Christ. Be forgiven and receive new life. That is the initial response, but we often need to keep hearing that. Why do you wait? Some of you need to hear that this morning. Why do you wait? 
What is keeping you from coming to the Lord? Rise, repent, and be baptized, calling on the name of Jesus Christ. Today is the day of salvation. And believers, we also need to hear, why do you wait, rise, and obey? Do what I've called you to do. Look at verse 17. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, or I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Paul obeys. He does exactly what the Lord commands him to do. Church obedience to the will of God is the sign of true belief. It's easy to say, I believe. It's easy to say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but that is seen as we follow him. James tells us that faith without works is a dead faith. Are you being obedient? Are you going where the Lord tells you to go? But when we start living out this gospel, when we start seeing, uh, living into the gospel, what, what God is bringing together, the most unlikely thing, Paul is just saying, look at me, he brought a sinner who was hostile against Christianity. He brought me into the church. He saved me and called me to go to the Gentiles. And we start to see the unifying effect of the gospel because instead of hostility and what we see in the crowds, how they respond to Paul, how they respond to the message of the gospel, we start to see instead fellowship. So let's jump back to verse 17 in chapter 21. When we, that's Paul and uh, Luke and a couple other guys that were, were traveling with him. If you remember, they just came from Miletus. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. Seems like a very simple statement. But just think about what we just read about Paul in his past. That he says in verse, chapter 22, verse 4, I persecuted the way to death binding and delivering to prison both men and women. He says that I was, I was standing there at the blood, when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed and approving of his death. <laughs> the church dearly loves Stephen. These elders, more than likely from Jerusalem, were friends with Stephen. So when Paul comes back and they welcome him in, this is only the unity that Christ could bring. This is only the unity that the Holy Spirit could develop in our hearts because he was a murderer of the church. He drove Christianity out of Jerusalem, persecuted them, drugged them back and imprisoned them and punished them. But here we see the gospel tears down those walls of hostility and creates brotherly love instead. They were glad to receive him. 
the very ones that he persecuted, welcome him with open arms. We see the same unifying effect, not just among enemies, but the unlikely people that the gospel is bringing together. The gospel tears down the walls of race, social status, pride, tribalism. It starts bringing people together, Jew and Gentile is is the gospel that he's preaching to them right now. It brings enemies together. It brings slaves and masters together. It brings the exalted and the lowly, the rich and the poor. It's bringing us all together, united in Jesus. Has the gospel started to change your understanding of unity? Do you see the people around you as enemies to stay away from or brothers and sisters in Christ to grow with? Are there groups you just can't stand to be around? Have you limited your your circle of people to people that only look like you and think like you and talk like you? Perhaps you need to understand that the gospel is bigger than you think. It's, it's doing far more than you expect. Perhaps you need to understand that the Lord is in the business of bringing the unlikely together. If you just look at the disciples, Jesus could have popped into the synagogue, grabbed a bunch of Pharisees, they all thought together, thought the same way, looked the same way, and, and turned their hearts around and used them. But instead, he grabs fishermen and tax collectors. They hated each other. He grabbed zealots and tax collectors, <laughs> and they hated each other. And he starts bringing just this 12 guys together unifying them in Christ, showing this is a picture of the kingdom. It looks far different than what many of us think it looks like. And when you see how the gospel is unifying the unlikely, we start to rejoice in God's work. Look at verses 18 in chapter 21. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. And after greeting him, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. Church, we should be celebrating when people come to know the Lord. We should be glorifying God for the amazing grace that he is pouring out. Even we're like, really? That person? Wow. Praise the Lord. We should be excited that the Lord can turn any stony heart to him and say, for them to say, Lord, what shall I do? If our focus is inward only, though, we can't celebrate the beauty of the universal church growing in miraculous ways. I would challenge you, spend time talking to other believers Asking them, how is the Lord working in your life? What is he doing and celebrating with them? Don't. I'll stop there. Take time to listen to their stories of God's grace and worship God. As you celebrate the work God is doing, uh, 
your faith is going to start to be refreshed. And their faith is going to start to be refreshed. And we start to build each other up. This is what it should look like. Not, I can't believe the Lord's working in their life and not my life. And I start grumbling and start tearing down. No, we want to be building up the kingdom. So we get to see how unity unites us. It brings us together. It builds us up. We saw that in in this response. But then we start to see oppositions to, oh, those are all in the wrong place. That's okay. Did I skip a slide? Sorry. Don't worry. It's my fault. I do do the slides. So... Uh, Where we see gospel unity, there's always division seeking to destroy it. So let's look at some oppositions in the the next few verses. Uh, Chapter 21, verse 20. When they heard it, they glorified God, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. So they say, God's been doing amazing stuff here also. He's been saving thousands through the church in Jerusalem, and they are very zealous for the law. And they've, they've been told about you, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come, Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourselves along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourselves also live in observance, that you yourself also live in observance to the law. As for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, from blood, and from what's been strangled, and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took them in the next day. He purified himself among with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and offering, uh, with, and the offering presented for each one of them. So the first thing we see that starts to come against. Once we're united in Christ, we're brought together as a body of believers, the, the first thing we see is church struggles. That shouldn't be a surprise. Like every church is going to struggle through conflict. These elders in Jerusalem, they're concerned what they, the church has heard about Paul and that it's going to have a negative effect on the church around them. So they say, you know what we have to do? We have to address this instead of burying it. And that's something we can learn as a church and the universal church needs to learn that we cannot bury problems. If we bury problems, all they're going to do is create a bitter root that destroys the church. They did not cower from this. This is a very hostile thing. They knew if Paul goes out there, more than likely he's going to go to prison. But we have to deal with this problem Because the things that work against the unity of church are the things that Jesus died to secure. So we, that didn't sound right. That didn't come out right. Did it? All right. Mike says it's good. So let's look at how how they address peace. 
First, they tell Paul what the issue is. They remind him um, that these are godly people. They have a godly Jewish heritage. They're concerned about what Paul is teaching. So they come to him. They know um, that this is not what Paul preaches, but he, they want to deal with this as a group. Most of the conflict we come to is based on half-truths and gossip. They say, Paul, we know this isn't like you. Those are the slides that I skipped through. We know, um, Paul, that you um, had Timothy circumcised for the sake of the kingdom. We know, Paul, that you took a vow um, for you, you observe the law. You are not rejecting your Jewish heritage. You, we know that you celebrate the, the, the days of unleavened bread. But this is the gossip that is going around. We have to go to people and say, this is what is going on. If we have a problem with someone, talk to them. Don't allow gossip to ruin your thinking. If not, problems become bitterness. Bitterness just becomes more gossip. More gossip just starts to tear churches apart. So we see they, they address the problem. They tell Paul. Secondly, they come up with a plan for reconciliation. The elders have Paul. They take these men. They say, you need to take these men to the temple Show people that this is not who you are. It's important to note that Paul actually does what is asked of him by the authority set over him. There needs to be always a wise and thought out plan for reconciliation. Not so that you can sleep better at night. That's not why they were dealing with this, with, with these people, with the Jews and the church. It's not so that, so that conflict is just checked off the books and it's dealt with, but so that the church is united and the gospel continues to go forth. Remember, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you are to love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We have to address conflict. And the third thing we see in this passage is follow through. Notice that Paul actually sets out and follows through. He actually does what he's called to do because conflict is bigger than you think. Just like the gospel is much deeper than you think, uh, the, if not dealing with conflict is coming against the gospel. The resolution of conflict is bigger than you think. Too often we think it's just between me and someone else. The church, we don't need to deal with it. It's not going to affect anybody. I'm just going to sit on the opposite side of the, of the sanctuary. Not that that's happening. I know I pointed. I didn't, I didn't mean to. I didn't say that. Uh, but it's not true because we start to grumble. And we start to create alliances and we start to, to work against the unity of the body. You see, true peacemaking comes from, from a heart that is set on the gospel. The reason Paul would go and do this, he's becoming all things to all people we see in 1 Corinthians. I am, I am free from all. He did not have to go do this. 
I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, become like one under the law, even though I'm not under the law, that I might win those under the law. His whole focus is gospel unity. That's the reason he wants to do this. And are you willing to do the same? Are you willing to become a servant of all, even in conflict? If it's just for you, if you're just solving a conflict because you want to feel better, more than likely, your answer is no to that question. But if you see that conflict is bigger and the gospel is bigger than yourself, that solving it is for the kingdom of God, your answer by faith will be yes, even if I don't know what it's going to look like. What we need to see, and what I want to close with quickly, is the success of the kingdom of God is not banking on us knocking it out of the park. We're going to struggle. We're going to fail at this at times. But we have to understand that God's sovereign hand is the one uniting the church. We live by faith. We strive hard. We don't get to say hands off God's sovereign so I don't need to do anything. We don't get to do any of that. But we by faith get to move forward. Because Paul's journey up to this point in Jerusalem, it seems like a complete waste of time. He gets to fellowship a little bit. He gets to talk to the church. He gets rejected again by the Jews. He gets placed in prison. He tries to explain himself. They try to kill him. He, he's dragged off and beaten, and we're asking at the end of this, why did he even go back? Why didn't he just listen to the people beforehand? Because it was all necessary. For Paul was able to come and set the gospel for, before the Jerusalem church. And with at ease, or with he gets to set the heart at ease of the church that says, This is not what I'm preaching. And then he gets to proclaim the gospel to the, the crowds. And he's placed in prison. And, and as his journey toward the end of Acts, he gets to pen some of the most precious words that we read in the Bible from prison cells. He gets to share the gospel with the churches and disciple and evangelize guards. And eventually, he gets to head to Rome. We see in Acts 23, 11, the following night, as he's sitting in prison, the Lord stands by him and says, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, you must also testify in Rome. You see, church, if, the follow, if we're following the Lord, if we're seeking first the kingdom of God, if we're striving for unity, we're serving people, and we're preaching the gospel, that's all we're expected to do, as hard as that sounds. And the way that we can do those things, and the way that we can face persecution, the way that we can solve conflict, we can come against any adversary, is by being rooted in the idea that God's sovereign hand is uniting the church. That nothing is going to thwart his plans. And in trusting the Lord is in control, we can, we can move forward in faith knowing he can turn hearts of stone into flesh. 
that he can unify any conflict. He can resolve it and unify us. He's moving constantly, church. And then we're able to freely go where he leads because his gospel is far greater than we imagine. I would call you this morning to respond like Paul does or like Ananias actually did to Paul. If you're an unbeliever this morning and you've realized I've, I've been hostile toward the kingdom, I've rejected the king and his messengers, but I desire mercy, I would call you this morning to come in the back and pray with us. We're back there. We want to tell you of the good news of Jesus Christ. If you're here and you're a believer and you've been divisive, I would say you've been warring against the unity of the church. Even if it seems insignificant, it's not. Today is the day to start moving forward in resolution. If you want to pray with us, we'd love to pray with you for that. Church, we need to be a people that strive for unity among the saints. Because we don't strive by our own power. We strive by the immeasurable power of Christ in us. Let's pray. Well, Lord, I thank you for your grace and mercy, for your patience with us. I thank you for the message today that you we ask that you would move it into our hearts. I pray that you would help us to, to strive for love of neighbor, for unity among the saints. Lord, we, we desperately want to participate in building the kingdom. And so often we get inward focused. So we ask for forgiveness. We ask that you would make us understand that this is a far bigger thing than what we think. And I pray for my brothers and sisters in here that you would just help us be obedient by your spirit in us. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us at Hauser Community Church Online. Check back next week for the next unpacking of the word of God. Please feel free to contact us with any questions you might have about the message or for pastor at area code 541-756-2591 or email us at pray at hauserchurch.org. Again, that's P-R-A-Y at H-A-U-S-E-R-C-H-U-R-C-H dot O-R-G. Our address is 69411 Wildwood Road, North Bend, Oregon. 97459. Remember, if you're seeking the truth, it will set you free. And that truth is Jesus Christ.